You're listening to Midnight Showing, a podcast where we talk about movies. You know, there's nothing more than I love, you know, waking up on a on a Saturday morning and uh, shooting the shit about the wrath of God with my old friend, man. So how, how did you like this movie? Dude, it's just like this movie is just like a classic Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's all about what we all do every weekend, especially as kids and yeah. even adults. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, when I finally have, you know, my first kid, I, I, this is the movie I'm going to christen him to. This is the first <laughs> thing he's ever going to watch in his oh entire my. life. I don't care about <laughs> Blue's Clues, Sesame Street, none of that. I want him to be two years old yelling, delusions in, in my the living second, room. The second he turns four, this is what he's watching, so he will remember it. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we watched The Devil All the Time, directed by Antonio Campos, starring Tom Holland. And a bunch of other people. There are a ton of other people. A lot of screen time is shared in this movie. So when we say he's starring, I'm saying that because I think he had the most, right? Or his character definitely did. You know, I think we can have some really interesting conversation about that throughout this film. So, I mean, um, I watched this movie for the first time about a month ago. And I was like, I think Nash would really like this movie, so I made you watch it. And in my opinion, I hated it. This movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shut your mouth! You're such a liar. Because this great. movie is incredible. It. It's an incredible movie. No. Yeah, no, it's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think this movie is borderline incredible for a lot of reasons um, that I'm I'm excited to, to to get into. So I kind of I kind of wanted to start the conversation off with a review. Or a, a a critique, if you will, from another person on the internet. And uh, if this is your first time listening to Midnight Showing, I'd like to make the point to you that Nash and I don't review movies or critique movies. We talk about movies. Yeah. There's a big difference between that because this guy was a critic. And in this in this little blurb, he wrote, you know, when I when I saw the trailer for this movie, I looked at my wife and I said, that looks like a lot of movie. And then when I watched it, I was like. That was a lot of movie. And I don't know what to do with that. That sounds like the laziest take I've ever yeah, heard in my entire like, life, that the movie was too much of a movie. And it's like, oh, the trailer ac accurately portrayed what I was going to watch. Like, right? What? Like, <laughs> right? Do you, do you want to watch, like, the trailer for Brazil and be like, oh, this is starring, um, I was going to say Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro, and he's barely in the movie. Like, no, come on, yeah. get, get out of here, man. Yeah, that's that's a funny thing is, like, because we bring up a lot trailers, we bring them up a lot, and I see why nobody else talks about them, I guess, because they don't know how. I mean, I'm not speaking for every critic, obviously. This guy was, he made it, you know, that, that's a useless comment. You know what I mean? Like, what does that do? It doesn't help you, like, if you want to watch yeah. the movie. Like, it's not, I genuinely don't know this guy's opinion on the movie, and he's a critic. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I I guess it's it it is a fact that this is a thick movie. You know, it's it's it, two and a half hours. I think a little bit under two and a half hours, and a lot of heavy heavy things are happening. And I think it's easy to write this movie off as just another, you know, kind of gore porn thing going on in 2022 where people just, you know, need the rush of something terrible to happen. But I really think this movie has a lot more nuance than that. You know, I, I really do. I don't think this is just a movie 
that's supposed to like you know kind of make you feel all like gross inside you know like a movie like the devil's rejects to me is a movie that is just supposed to be disturbing and make you go what the fuck how did they film that i really think that the devil all the time has a lot more nuance within the script and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that it is derived from a novel of the same name you know um you read way more than I do because I'm an invalid with a, a reading level of about a third grader. I cannot focus for anything. <laughs> okay, so man. as someone who is <laughs> as someone who is kind of more into novels and everything, how do you feel about my kind of take that this might be one of the best adaptations from novel to film? Well, I mean, I got to read the book. I probably will read the book. I mean, fair th- enough. This is what happens a lot. Like I have the. I have the uh, the big short book. I have the the Shutter Island book. Like those books are incredible. Um, so that yeah. that always makes me really happy. Like especially with like this movie too, because just you know, so we can j- get the generals out of the way before we spoil stuff. It's got like what is it, three or four plots going on at the same time, right? During the whole movie, they get roughly the same screen time. Roughly, yeah. I I would almost describe it as more of a through line than a bunch of plots happening. Like, it's not like an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. It's more like a, this is the plot with A, B, and C all relating to that narrative through line that I think is really strong within the movie. And that's why I wanted to start with that guy's stupid take. I'll call you stupid, bro. I don't care. I don't even know your name, so you're probably never going to hear this, but you're stupid if you know that you wrote that. (laughs) Hot hot takes off the gate. All right, all right. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. But like, like to me you could see this movie as a lot a lot going on but i think that narrative through line between all of these plots connect in a really like intricate and unique way that like really kind of makes you think about everything that happened by the end of it and i don't think it's all jumbled up and like hyperbole you know what i mean yeah i think i do what do you mean by hyperbole like as in relation to as in relation to none of it amounted to anything, I guess. I don't know if hyperbole is the right word, but like kind of looking at it through a lens of like being a messy movie where you kind of couldn't grasp onto anything and felt like nothing was really going on. To me, there's a ton to grasp onto in this movie, and it really leaves you with that kind of gutted feeling similar to Good Time the other week where I was talking about how that movie at the end of it just makes you want more from this world. I really feel that same way with The Devil all the time where, like, it doesn't feel like it's just trying to, like, make some grand message about religion and God or it doesn't feel like a jumbled story that's just trying to show you, like, demonic and weird stuff. It's really just, like, this contained story throughout these two towns that, like, just really pulls you in and makes you feel like you don't know what's going on until you kind of really sit down and think about everything that happened. Yeah, like, it's mainly... It's like a collection of people like it's like like all of the stories going on it could have their own movie and have but I feel like they do but to like less effect. You know what I mean? And even yeah. with all these stories going on this movie doesn't feel like it's too jam-packed like it's too fast-paced or anything like that like you said it's not really jumbled together they're all clear and clean very well done um 
I will say though, probably before we go any closer, um, we have to acknowledge that sound in the background. What sound? That's a spoiler alert sound. You gotta edit it in. Come on now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! All right, all right. I want I want to start off the spoiler section with a, with a game, Nash. I want to play a game on Midnight Showing called "What Do You Think the Most Important Line in the Entire Movie Was?" Go. Um, probably that thing about there being you know shitty people. <laughs> In the world, you know what? Why was the line? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> that um, his dad tells him. That his dad tells him. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of pieces of shit in the world, and like, um, some people are just born to be buried. That stuff, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. That's a that that that's that's a fair assumption. I like that assumption. To me, the most important line in the movie comes from the narrator. And it's it's in the beginning part when you're learning about Willard. And there's there's the beginning where Emma says she made a promise to God that if Willard could come home safe from the war, she would get with Helen or uh, Willard would get with Helen. And then, you know, we have the scene in the church with Roy Lafferty, who I really want to get into because I think he is a really interesting part of this entire puzzle. But as they're driving away in the car, the narrator says something really eerie. And it's that Emma always had a feeling. She was always convinced that something bad would happen if she didn't keep that promise to God. And when I, you know, take in all the demonic, crazy stuff that happened in this movie, when you look at it through that lens, that's where I find it, this narrative, extremely interesting, is that she just didn't keep that promise to God as if that tagged Willard with like the devil, you know, like he's the omen and got the 666 on the back of his neck. And now everyone connected to this man are just eternally damned because Emma could not keep that promise to God. Hmm. Like an acknowledgement that she had to contain him. Yeah, an, an, an acknowledgement from the narrator, right? Because I think I made this point last week with There Will Be Blood that to me in a world where religion is very present so much so that you have several preachers and sermons you kind of have to assume within that narrative that god exists in that world and of course it's a case-by-case basis some movies you're supposed to think that but he isn't he really isn't real to me you really have to consider god to be real in the world of the devil all the time right and the idea that Emma made this promise to the Lord so that Willard could come home safe, but she did not keep that promise just intrigues me to no end and kind of, I think, gives a little bit more of that context to what is going on in this crazy, crazy story. And also, I mean, for me, too, in talking about that, it's sort of for me, when especially when a story like this kind of goes so far like in the time range right we see a, a child be born and a child grow up yeah that always sort of brings together like the whole for me it keeps me focusing on this whole like idea of like oedipus you know where it's the classic like this thing that happened so long ago ends up affecting the son directly related to his family yeah like, all the it could also go together like does this do the son having to pay for the sins of the father 
Yeah, dude. Yeah, there's and there's a ton of connections between that, between Willard and Tom and also Lenora and Helen, her mother. You know, Lenora and Helen both fall for the preacher. Tom and Willard both beat the shit out of somebody. And the direct action of them taking that out leads to his mom falling to the ground in cancer. And when he goes to beat the shit out of those kids who are bullying Lenore, that's right when Robert Pattinson gets into Lenore's pants. But we're getting a little <laughs> bit of ahead of ourselves because – Back to kind of the way that this narrative plays out as a novel, what I really like is that we have a good 45 minutes of Willard's story before we ever see Tom Holland. And I think that really plays to the movie's benefit that we take so much time in the beginning because I think if we yeah. started off with Tom Holland and we were doing flashbacks of Willard's life, it wouldn't have connected as well as it did. No, it really, it really wouldn't have. And it also sets up this... Because we talk about this a lot, too. And it's an important thing to talk about when you're looking at a story. Because if you have a narrator, that's huge in a story. Because a lot of stories yep. don't have narrators. Yep. A lot of stories do have narrators. But also, we know in this story that the narrator is aggressively honest. He sounds he sounds like a slow-speaking, yeah. very comforting, like southern grandfather like telling a story to their grandkids perfect casting honestly they casted the narrator of this movie perfectly for the feeling that they wanted to convey in the yeah and so he he's instantly got this sort of trustworthy approach and he gives us details that we don't need to know but the fact that we know them points to okay there's no point to actually say that other than to sort of prove that he is omniscient like he knows everything about what's going on yeah and he's not he's not hiding anything from us when he speaks absolutely and i also kind of like that it doesn't necessarily feel like that's god's voice you know what i mean like the, the narrator definitely feels like a third party and not someone who's pulling the strings you know Oh yeah, you know what that you know what that that's a big thing too to acknowledge because that you, you get that a lot of times and it really kind of it can it can muddy up a story when it's like that because it can make everything happening seem less important because it's like okay it's this guy controlling it or that type of thing yeah whereas here it's just no it's somebody that knows everything like that's a big difference it may not sound like it ladies and gentlemen no dude ab absolutely and you know just kind of before we even start getting into the real narrative again another thing that I love about this movie is how subtle the devil is able to come into the lives of these people and that nothing any of the actions taken this in this movie truly feel like they come from man and not from something existential you know what I mean so like to me, back to that guy's quote about this being too much movie, there's so much nuance in the narrator saying those things and not pulling the strings. And there's such a creepy feeling of something coming up from the back of your neck as if the devil is really, you know, in, in inseminating these these people's minds. You know what I mean, dude? And that's that kind of goes to uh, Ray Lafferty's sermon, which I want to get into. But first, let's talk about... The first act of violence we see in this movie, which I would probably consider Miller Jones being crucified. Would you consider that a violent act, next? <laughs> well, 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 no, here's a big thing, because it's not that we see him get crucified. We see that he is crucified. You know, we think he's dead. He wakes up and then they shoot him to put him out of his misery. Was he resurrected? Well, see, I don't know. Who knows? 
Well, huh? Oh, yeah, oh, right. Oh, <laughs> I, oh. I I thought about this movie until like three a.m. after we watched it. Um, um. So like, I consider Miller Jones to be that's the name of the sergeant who's crucified. I consider him a little bit to be that sacrifice, so that Willard is allowed to come home from the war. You know what I mean? Because. There are a lot of moments in this movie in which, you know, a sacrificial lamb is definitely brought up. Uh, don't watch this movie with a dog lover is all I'm going to say about that at this moment in time. But, uh, yeah. to, to, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of sacrificing going on in the lives of these people. And to me, I kind of considered, you know, it's starting off in war. War, you know, can be considered like kind of the ultimate way that the devil is allowed to get into our world in which, you know, people fight and terrible things happen. And they pull up on this crucified body with millions of flies eating away at him, realize it's Miller Jones, and the the man resurrects from the crucifix, and Willard puts him out of his misery with a gun, you know? Is is that the justification of Emma's promise to bring Willard back home from from the war? What, what do you think about that? Is that sort of the cost that it took for him to get back? Yeah. Because to, hmm. to me, that's where this whole movie starts. Like, this entire story starts with the, the promise Emma makes to God. And, you know, um, so when he gets home, obviously he's not interested in Helen because he, he met Arvin's mother. And there's the, there's the line from the narrator in which um, he says, Willard felt the need to get right with his maker so nothing bad would happen to his family. So the narrator says, talks about bad things happening to the family twice based on this promise out of God. You know what I mean? So like, is, is that the moment in which the devil is present in this film is right as he builds the church in the woods and felt that omnipotent presence as if something bad was going to happen to his family? To me, the only way that I can kind of rationalize that in the context of this movie has to be with Miller Jones, you know, because I don't I don't think this movie started off with a crucifixion just because it would have been a crazy thing to film. Hmm. Well, see, that leads me back to the title of the movie. Titles are important, people. Super important in this movie. The devil all the time. So, what does that mean? It means that, okay, it, everything that's going on, the, the devil has a hand in it. All right. That makes sense, I guess, right? Just core concept. You know, that kind of follows Christian beliefs in general, right? The devil is always working. Yeah. Against people being sort of righteous and good Christians. Take it a step further, where if we look at how Christianity is utilized in this story, nobody really seems to be that good of a Christian. Uh, they say God damn it and Jesus Christ a lot. <laughs> I noticed they, that. <laughs> yeah, they, they say that a lot. But also a, a big thing, too, is for when. What's his dad's name? That Willard. Comes back? Willard. When Willard comes back um, and eventually crucifies the dog as a sacrifice, see, that's a very Old Testament type of thing to do. Yeah. Because Christians don't actually make sacrifices like that. That's something that sort of changed out, you know, in the New Testament. So Times are a change in my man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So for that to happen, you kind of, at that point, I sort of ask myself, when he says he has to make right by his maker, who does he actually mean by that? Yeah. 
because he's not really following like sort of classic Christianity. He sort of is with the, you know, with the cross initially by not using it all the times he's using it to just pray until then he starts to do what he starts to hit his son by it. Yeah. Then he's, you know, kills the dog by it. It becomes more like his maker. Isn't God. It's more of. He's thanking the devil for not taking him as far as he could. Yeah, well, I mean, dude, that the first line from the narrator is that Arvin always felt like his father was fighting the devil all the time, you know? So I almost, you know, kind of feel like God isn't even present in, in this movie because, you know, Emma couldn't keep that promise. And the the presence of God is just not even involved in the movie. You know, what, what I thought found something to be really interesting was in a couple of the scenes, you can replace the term God with the devil. And it makes a lot more sense. Specifically when Ray Lafferty is bringing Helen out to the thing, he says a couple things like, um, like the, 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 the Lord is, is here now, Helen, the, the Lord is all around us. Well, the devil is here the, you know, the devil is, is, is all, is all around us. You know, there's almost like such a lack of God in this movie that you don't even really know kind of where to place all those feelings. Yeah. And see, that's sort of a, like, I feel like if you don't acknowledge that title of the movie, you can sort of lose that feel. Cause it's like these people trying to look for salvation falsely is accurate either way. But what that actually means is totally different. They're all sort of looking for salvation in a very corrupt and unchristian way of doing things. Absolutely. So they are they are dealing with the devil all the time, not because he's there, but because they're almost ensuring that what they do isn't right. Well, you know, um, I wanted to bring up the, the, the diner in Mead, right? Because that's where we, we, we meet Willard, Arvin's mother, Carl, and... I forget what I think it was. Might have been Charlotte. No, and Charlotte was Arvin's mother's name. Um, it wasn't Shannon? Was it something? Something like that. The serial killer's um, gr- uh, girlfriend, wife, who is the sister of the cop. Anyway, yeah. I found a little bit of significance in that diner, not only because this is where we meet all the people, but when that homeless guy walks in and he yells "heathens" at all of them, you know. Is 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 that is that a moment in which in which that guy is a little omnipotent in which he's declaring that everyone in that diner is a heathen and cannot be saved by God at any point? You know what I mean? And then, you know, um out outside the diner, Arvin's mother Charlotte is giving that guy a meal, and what happens to her? She's the only one who who died early in the movie. You know what I mean? Is she she's the only person who might not have been a heathen and and the god or, or devil had to take her away from this world as all these other heathens kind of, you know, eat their egg benny on a Saturday. Yeah, like she sort of got pushed out. Pushed out because she was the best focus. Damn, that thing that you said about her preventing him from doing wrong is really eating at me now. Yeah, right, dude? Right? Because like like and we're 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 only in like I feel like it's really important to focus on the beginning of this movie too because it's almost like after that time skip almost everything by the time that it's that time skip is all reactionary to everything that Willard did you know in 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 this time um yeah and that's that's why I I really enjoy Ray Lafferty's character because he's not in the movie for that long and again, I feel like this is another one of those parts where you could be like, this movie is muddled because there's too many characters going on. But we learn so much about that guy in the short amount of time that we get him, starting off with his sermon about fear. 
And he talks about, you know, rats eating at you in hell and spiders, spiders crawling through your mind, laying eggs, creating cobwebs, you know? Is that not the devil in this movie? Entering the minds of people and making them do the fucked up shit? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like when when the guy walks into the diner and he yells heathens at those people, it's almost like another way that the devil has tagged this group. And now Carl can only feel that divine presence when he's murdering people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you think about it, like the more wrong these people do, the more they all sort of fit in together. Like I'm trying to think of the most neutral character we have is probably his uncle. Absolutely. Un- uncle Herschel is kind of just along for the ride. And to a certain extent, Emma is kind of neutral too. Although in my opinion, this all happened because she couldn't keep that promise to God, you know? So hmm. Hmm. like, hmm. I-, I think I-, I consider Willard to almost be the pillar, you know, like, like I, I think it all kind of comes down from Willard going into that diner, meeting those two people. And then it comes down to Arvin and Lenora and, Oh, yeah. No, well, he very much is because what is that what, the thing the narrator says? Like he met her because he sat in someone else's seat. He sat in Carl's seat. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That definitely has the effect. And also the the whole the whole passing down of the gun thing. Yeah. Like nothing else was passed down. And we can make a very clear point of that being mentioned. By Tom Holland like that. He doesn't have anything else from his father other than the gun that his uncle later gives him. Yeah, well, I mean, he definitely has some trauma packaged up from his father, but oh, you're yeah. right. He didn't give him an old baseball T-shirt or anything like that. That might have helped, you know, a little a little bit with the... Uh... Or, like any, or like anything else, like his dog tag and stuff like that. Like, the fact that it's this Nazi, you know, symbol. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's true. I mean, lots of, you know, I'm not saying anybody that took a Luger during World War II was, you know, approving of the Nazis or anything like that. But as far as symbolism goes for a movie, it's what gets him out of jams. But in the end of the movie, a lot. It's, you know, it saves his skin quite a few times by the end of the movie. (laughs) And it's definitely not something that you would symbolize as being good. No, not at all. Not at all, especially like where it came from. And there, there's, there's such a lack of of good in this movie. Obviously, very intentionally. Um, so like when I kind of in, in encapsulate the beginning of this movie and how I feel like this is a really great adaptation of novel to film, is that we lay down so much in the beginning of this movie, and then right when we have the time skip, it's really like everything else is almost reactionary to the things that that happened here you know and then in the future we you know we we have tommy holland and poor lenora who has to pray at her mother's grave every day thinking that she can hear him when is it not that presence that she's praying to that took her away in the first place oh i'm glad you brought that up too because that's a good point but i also noticed this in the movie where when Tom Holland is the one taking her to the grave all the time, it's sort of like she hasn't done anything wrong at that point. No. Only he has in defense of her. So you could say argue he like arguably at that point, he's a necessary evil. Yeah. And right when he takes that action is exactly when Robert Pattinson, um, you know, kind of 
starts to move in. Yeah. And he slowly gets replaced as the one taking her to her mom's grave. So I guess it's sort of my question is kind of his morality isn't, I don't think, black or white. Especially because of the actions as he takes. But is he sort of like, is he... Let's say he's like, honestly, let's say he's like a story from the Bible where you have a person that is being tested for their faith. Like, is his morality more on the good side or do you think he's just as flawed and influenced as other people are of the world around him? You know, I think a lot of that comes back to the sins of his father, you know? Which, um, I'm going to be totally honest with you, I am not an expert in Christian theology at all, but I'm pretty sure that's a theme, is like the th- the sins of the Father affecting those people. And so, a, a line way towards the end of the movie, when the cop is kind of hunting Tom Holland, Tom Holland says, I'm not a bad guy, I, I had to do it, you know? I kind of, I, I put a lot of reverence in that statement alone. So, I guess to answer your question... I don't think Arvin is is a bad person. I, I think Arvin is the only character in this movie that the devil might have not been able to lay cobwebs inside of. Well, see, see, that's what I thought. But every time I'm brought back to when he's sitting in the car and he watches his dad beat up the poachers, the narrator says this is the happiest day of his life. That That is the happiest memory he remembers with his father. Yeah. Yeah, and he and and it's obviously shown because he takes that with him. He does that throughout the entire movie. Now he doesn't behave as bad as his dad. That's true. His dad has obviously got there's a more I would say evil character. I don't think that's a hard argument to make with what he does. Well, yeah, yeah. Finish your point, and then I might challenge you a little bit on that. Like he's definitely more conflicted into the things he's doing than um, his son is. Like, from a moral standpoint, their definition of necessity is very different. Yeah. His, His dad needs to do these religious things in order for the world to fall into place. In order for the world to make sense. Yeah. And he doesn't really know what master he's serving when he does those things yeah for sure so so where do you place um after tom uh, returns to the place of his dog's gravesite and he buries the bones there's this really great part where the narrator says arvin was thinking about his father and how his father would have done anything to to save his mother and then Tom says to her, I keep saying Tom and Arvin, Ar- Arvin says to himself anything, and he kind of whispers it like that. I felt like that was kind of a, an atonement to the sins of his father and understanding that just like everyone else in this movie, his father was just like a flawed human. So I almost question how evil of a character Willard actually was when like, I mean, and also you you, you got to remember that whenever Willard looks at the cross he's brought back to that day on the island in which the sacrifice was made so that he could make his way home, right? So, like, 
Yeah. And even the first time we meet Willard, we understand that he has a distorted idea of what God and the cross means in this world. It's like he assumes that because he was blessed, he can receive more from that blessing. Yeah, well, uh, again, is that's kind of symbolized when the narrator says he had this feeling bubble up in him that he had to get right with his maker so nothing bad would happen to his family, you know? But sort of that concept that assuming that you can sort of control a deity or sort of control their force through your actions, not your submission to it. Like that's very not Christian. <laughs> and that's exactly what Ray Lafferty does to Helen, right? That's yeah. exactly what, what, what yeah. that's exactly what, what happens to Helen in this movie is this crazy spider boy you know, just uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised he didn't turn into Spider Man. <laughs> Ray, Ray Lafferty and Ned coming soon to a movie theater near you. But like, honestly, I I was I like, I'm amazed we made it this far without making a Spider Man reference, and it wasn't even directed towards. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, though, cra- Crazy Spider Boy is locks himself in in a closet for two weeks, smelling worse than a truck truck stop shitter. And like, this is the reaction he has. And I love, 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 love that line from the narrator, how they just foreshadow that she wasn't seen again for seven years. And then the movie keeps moving. And then they tell you, yeah, that is such great storytelling. And it pisses me off. That guy said, this is a lot of movie because it's not, it is a good movie. (sighs) God damn it. I got it. Sorry, God. I didn't mean to curse your name in the movie about your name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, better go shoot your dog. But that's (laughs) if this movie teaches us anything. It's don't do that. So please don't do that, people. But um, other thing, too, like final note sort of on the narrator, because this movie has a ton of stories going on. And this narrator has very slow way of speaking, but it's very clear and it's very to the point. And it's like you don't notice it brushing you along. Yeah. And that that really neat like that is so he like this movie 100% would have fallen apart without a like a narrator that caliber. Oh, absolutely it dude. 100% in, would have. In fact, when when we were watching the movie and the scene when uh Lenora commits suicide and you know there's of course the second where she realizes that the devil had infected her brain and none of it was real and that her grandmother would have loved to have a new baby you even uh you were like dude the narrator is such a dick for telling us that <laughs> you were like why narrator yeah. why did you just make this way sadder than it had to be why, why did you do that and then she started to feel bad that this was a bad idea and her mom would you know not be happy about it slips from the bucket yeah like just <laughs> <laughs> demonic dude so like let's um let's talk about about robbie pat dude R- robbie pat's character because good time of course was starring robert pattinson i don't think this movie is starring robert pattinson he's playing a supporting role that is a very strong supporting role and my god does that guy just know how to how to act dude because the the snake within this character of robert pattinson and just the way that it affects lenora and everything around him is truly insane and i could just watch him give that sermon about delusions all day long yeah he's a total scumbag right (laughs) 
like like <laughs> so how do you how do you kind of take his actions and his character and how he corrupts the idea of god within this movie because you know a lot of you know back to your the point you just made about willard and how he had no idea what deity he was actually appeasing to you know robert pattinson on the other end of that is just so convoluted in his own mind and narcissism and loving that people hang on every word he says that he has this crazy amount of uh just narcissism sociopathic type tendencies that come out in a different way too so it's not even like you know robert pattinson is out there murdering and torturing people or or anything like that it's in such a more subtle and honestly kind of more disturbing way than doing acts like that yeah it's a much more like long term abuse of people's loyalty Mm -hmm. and uh, also i'd say a big thing who's the one character he really offends oh uh emma right when we meet emma yeah 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 yeah. because she couldn't keep that promise to god man you know right away yeah he has he has a he really hates poor people really he really hates the poors but also too another thing that i sort of picked up on is with his sort of masterful execution of what he wants to do, you know, total scumbag, you know, behavior. You mean the the character or Robert Pattinson's performance? The actual character? Yeah, I mean the actual character. Okay, it's yeah, like yeah. that that portrayal, you know, it leaves the assumption of this character knows what they're doing. Like it it it's the oh it's one of the only characters we get that it might be the only character we get where we don't see their development. Like we don't see them turn into an evil person. It's like odds are he had to leave where he was preaching last because he did the same type of thing to somebody like him being an evil guy is not, we don't see him not be the evil guy. Whereas almost every other character, we do. Well, let's uh, um, again, you know, making that connection between Helen and her daughter and Ray Laverty and Robert Pattinson. We really do see that full progression of Ray's character. Honestly, Ray might be like one of my favorite pieces of this entire puzzle because we see the full range of that person. And when you compare it to Robert Pattinson, I think it comes out even more, you know, because as Ray is not going to, um, you know, touch Carl's wife in the whole model thing. He puts gets down on his knees and he looks up at the clouds and he's like, he was always wondering what it was actually like up there during his sermons, but he he never knew. And then you know he just says her name is Lenora, my daughter. And it's it's in that moment you realize that Ray wasn't even this demonic being. Ray wasn't this evil preacher. You know, he was he was a man who, like everyone else in this movie, just allowed the devil to creep inside his mind and lay cobwebs. And you know, he <laughs> this is going to be a funny sentence. He genuinely killed Helen and didn't mean it. That was the most genuine murder I've ever seen in my entire life, bro. He wanted. Yeah. He was like, did not expect her to not rise up. And 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 that guy with him. Um, the guy that played the guitar. Yep, his brother. Yep. That, too, was like, man, you tell the police all this, you're going to sound like a yeah. crazy person from the hills. It's like, yeah, you will. Yeah. Because <laughs> he is. <laughs> it's All I'm saying is if you get bit by a spider, don't assume you can resurrect people. 
And don't test that by murdering your wife. Yeah. Don't test it. <laughs> test it on a cadaver or something. Don't test it on like, the living. Is that, is that not just phenomenal storytelling, though? You know, like, I, 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 we're just going to keep harboring back to this point, but it just really bothered me that that guy said this is a lot of movie. Because, like, if Ray was in the movie to give a crazy spider sermon, then you never saw him again. Then it would be a, a muddled movie that has too much going on. But there's a full bookend to that guy's entire story, and then at the end we even see the cop look at the picture of him. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, and it's also, too, like, you have to, like, all these people are messed up. Right, to some degree. They all are. They're sinners. They're heathens. They're all very differently messed up. And that, like that, that's, that's a huge point. Like, a few of them are, a, like, interpreting religion to their own gain. That's kind of, I think, the biggest one as far as religion goes. They're manipulating it for their own personal gain. It's the most common thread. But they all do it incredibly differently. One of them thinks that it requires self-sacrifice... Right. Yeah. For him to get that sort of reward of, you know, being blessed or having sort of sort of divine intervention. Yeah. Another character sort of thinks that, oh, OK, I have this divine ability because of my faith. And so I can do anything. Which. No, you can't. No, you cannot. The other character abuses that religious faith for their own more human personal gain. Right. This le- this leads me, if you don't have another point you want to make, this leads me into, we need to have the talk about who has agency in this movie. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Because, you know, um, I th- I think that was really helpful for you to just lay-, lay it out like that between what all these people do. So, like, yeah, uh, who does have the agency? Does Arvin have a? Let's start with Arvin. Let's start with our boy Arvin, because it's arguable that he is the main character of the story. I say arguable because... On my second run, I was kind of paying attention to how much time we actually spent with every story. And in my opinion, we don't spend an extra amount of time with Arvin. You know, like, he might have the most screen time, but it's almost like there isn't that much more importance put on to him until, you know, the very final third act. So what kind of what kind of agency do you consider Arvin to have throughout this story? Um, Because to me, he is the sacrificial lamb who does not get sacrificed the boy who has to pay for the sins of his grandmother and father let's say that i'm going to assume i'm not going to assume i i think he has the most agency okay i think that's i think that's pretty fair see here's a dangerous thing while i was thinking about this with this movie because if you've if you've listened to this show before you know i like to think about this while i watch it it's how it's how you know who's the main character is. I found that typically characters that were more evil had more agency than the characters that were more pure. Oh, a thousand percent. Perfect example is Arvin's mother, the only Arvin's person, oh yeah, only person who gave a meal to the homeless guy is one of the first people to, to, to die. die off of cancer or something you cannot control at all, which da, 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 her husband tries to control. He uses his agency yep. to try to control something that he can't, which affects Arvin, which, while it does prove to give him agency later on, it ultimately gives him a little bit less on that scale. 
because it's now set a mentality in him that he really can't escape. He let's just say if you can't control your PTSD, there's not a lot of agency left for you. And you're talking about Willard right now? Yeah, Willard had more agency. And. Well, yeah, no, he had more agency. I'm going to stick by that. I think you could argue he also didn't because of his untreated PTSD. (sighs) See, that's tough. No, 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 because for him, his wife was giving him less agency, which was keeping him contained. When she died, he had more agency. The The more she drew away from him, the more agency he had. Boom. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so the agency is the devil, no? Right? Like, that's what agency in this movie comes down to, Arvin excluded. Because, like, the agency of of Robert Pattinson is that he can, you know, impregnate women, get away with it, and kind of just live his life in this crazy, narcissistic, sociopathic realm in which he is the main character of the story. You know, that the agent that's the agency he has. The agency that Ray has is, you know, going into a closet and believing that you can resurrect your wife and that you will be the savior or the messiah or, or whatever. So I guess the agency to me really comes down to the way that people's brains are almost infected in this movie. Yeah. You know? Cause the, the, the baseline for agency to define it is, and this is why it gets really tricky for this movie is how much they affect other characters and how much, they can resist other characters. So Arvin's got the most because he interacts with every character and affects them, right? He has an effect on every single character that he meets, except for really his dad. His dad has the most effect on him. Yeah. That's where it gets really tricky because his dad doesn't interact with all the characters but his dad does affect the guy that affects everybody. So I think you got to give it to Arvin. Arvin's got to have the most agency. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, well, it's the, uh, to my, my point about the devil having agency. That's almost really interesting because it, um, Arvin doesn't, but really doesn't believe, you know, like I think the point is kind of made in, in that beginning section that he's not so much with, you know, the idea of praying on the prayer log that doesn't work too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like in, in, in that scene where Willard is forcing him to pray to uh, God to ask his mother to clean the cancer out of him, Arvin looks away at the dog and the dog's happiness. And, you know, I could almost see in a way that being the idea of Arvin's kind of, you know, God, if you will, if like, that's kind of like the happiness in life that we can find. He sees it in his dog and his dad slaps him in the back of the head and brings him right back to staring up at the cross that has so tarnished his entire existence. You know? Yeah, no, that's an incredible point to make. Cause the, like an animal, especially a dog is totally reflective on how it's treated. You know, it is essentially blank, right? It is sort of as pure as you can get, except with how people treat it. So, like, him turning to that 
and making an acknowledgement towards it, and especially how much he references it when he is young. That's important to note. And also, the fact that he is religious, it seems like religion is a really terrible thing here. <laughs> it does, it does. That brings me to an, an interesting line I wanted to ask you about, um, because, so... Everyone kind of in Arvin's world is very much affected by religion, and Carl only feels that presence of God when he's doing crazy serial killer things. And when they are bringing uh, Gary, the uh, that that kid who was going to Vietnam, she asks him, "Are you baptized?" I would hate to see uh, where 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 uh, sinners go or those who who aren't saved go after they die. And then afterwards, he's listening to Carl's listening to one of the gospel songs, and she says, "I hate that gospel shit," you know. So like, she is another person who was just like purely affected by all this stuff, but doesn't necessarily believe on her own anything like this. I thought I thought that was a really interesting tidbit into her character. Again, creating amazing character development between a ton of moving pieces that does not make this movie jumble. Religion in this too, it's, it's very important to note, doesn't determine agency because we have, I think, characters of equal devotion. Arvin's parents, right, are approaching yeah. it totally differently. One is sort of under the absolute good. One is an evil. I'm not going to say absolute because I would say corruptible. I feel like corruptible is a better term. Yeah. But we also see two other preachers, right? And their, you you know, interpretation, their use is wholeheartedly corruptible. Yeah. Whereas Roy, or is it Ray? Roy or Ray Lafferty is the, uh, sir, the preacher in the beginning. Yeah. Helen, he, you know, he isn't necessarily corrupting people. He doesn't have as huge as he doesn't have that much agency altogether, even yeah. though he kills somebody. Right. Whereas yeah. um, Preston is Robert Benson, right? Yes. His character, Preston has a ton of agency. And he's also religious and also evil. <laughs> yeah. So how do you can how do you relate that to Carl's character, the serial killer, the agency he has and the things he does? And another thing right. I really wanted to bring up to you that I thought was super interesting was the scene where the narrator says the only time he could feel um, in the presence of God was when he killed something. That's not what the exact quote is. The exact quote is something like the presence of God, not the presence of God, something like the presence of God. I thought yeah. that something like was very important. How, where do you place his agency in this entire thing? Well, I mean, the uh, I think it's his is best placed in comparison with his wife's because compared to her, he's got infinitely more, right? So much so that when she pulls a gun and shoots somebody, it doesn't do anything. Why? Literally, yo, great point. Literally, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, because of yeah, because of his agency towards her. He's he's also not religious like the other characters are at all. Like the closest thing we get to his religion is, or to his, no, his religion is right. Closest thing we get to that is what you just said earlier, which has really nothing to do with sort of Christianity in any way. 
you know, the other people are at least somehow tied to it. He really isn't at all, but he has a ton of agency. Yeah. And also, I might say, too, the person... I'm torn between... Alright, so Arvin 100% has the most agency. He's the main character of the thing. And he interacts with everybody. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you that he is the main character. Now... The guy that's the cop, I forget his name. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't hit the 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 police officer and Arvin's dad, Willard. Yep, I think they're kind of tied with agency. Tied with it, okay. Because they he changes the most things outside of Arvin. Yeah, and I mean, within the realm, too, he's literally elected to be the person who can run the law yeah. around that area. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good point to even think of. The only reason, like, I would say he could have more is because he also drives Arvin to do something. Arvin ultimately wins the confrontation, but his dad, you know, his dad's biggest running for agency is the impact he had it on him. So if the cop also had an impact on him, I tend to lean towards the cop is kind of the second guy of the movie. He's the, he's the other main guy, even though you don't really see him that much. Well, that was um, a a point that I I was going to make about him if we ended up bringing him up was I feel like, you know, in my little angry rant about that guy's take the I feel like the only part of this movie you could see as being a little bit too much is his storyline, you know, so like I really want to kind of dive into what you're thinking about this because. I feel like, you know, the the two scenes with the guy who is doing the underground stuff and he spits on the money and the part where he kills those two guys, to me, was the only part of the movie that didn't necessarily fit in with everything else, but kind of like move the plot along. So because that part of the movie feels a little far removed from like what Preston's doing and all the stuff with Willard, how do you how do you kind of uh and, and, and encapsulate more so the agency you think that character has in the story when in my opinion he is like the one part of the story that you might be able to scratch <sighs> see that gets tough right because also as far as character development goes he has some of the most character development we see him you know in the beginning, as the cop doing something good, we see him in the diner. Other than, well, technically getting a handy, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he, uh, that happens too. But but see, well, no, that's that's actually good you bring it up because th- these are sort of how, to, how where does this character start off? That's sort of the sin that he's doing is sort of a consensual sexual act that would be deemed improper. Right. In those circumstances. Yeah. And then contrast that with he's helping this kid who's sort of lost everything. Yeah. Then almost I think the next scene we see him in is when that guy spits on his money to take. He doesn't do anything. He has very little agency there. He doesn't do anything evil. He submits and accepts it. 
And then later down the line, what do we see him do? Is we see him kill and then chase art. And we see him kill, you know, the very people that harassed him. Huge character development. He stopped being meek, went to be more aggressive, and that was the last thing they expected. And then he continued that path in hunting down Arvin. So it's like... Arvin has a lot of character development. But does he have as much as the cop? You know, I almost kind of question the character development of Arvin, because he just seems like such a reactionary character in context to the plot, in which most things that he does happens because something happened to him, you know? Like, the people are bullying Lenora, he feels like he needs to step up and protect her. Um, He needs to protect his family's name and the rest of the people in the town from Robert Pattinson. He needs to save his own life from Carl. He needs to kill the officer because the officer is trying to kill him and Arvin's trying to explain that he's not a bad guy. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. That preacher was no good. She took Lenora away from me. Your your brother, your sister and her husband weren't no good either. They were going to kill me. I found a picture of her naked with some dead guy, you know? So I, I, I almost wonder if I have to challenge you on, on if he actually has any of that agency. Is it not all reactionary? Well, see, you know? <sighs> Maybe it could be. No, Maybe, I, I, right? I don't. I, it, I can't. I can't outright say that I wholeheartedly disagree with that because that is something I question. But it's also how he reacted to once he's done with the killings. He is totally done. He leaves the gun behind. He buries. He literally buries his past. True. Good point. E- even though it's sort of like. You couldn't say he's hiding, you know, he's burying the gun to, you know, hide the evidence. Everybody already knows what he's done. To some extent, everybody already knows the bad things that he's done. They know he's killed that preacher. Mm -hmm. So it's more that you have to take that as that's more for his character than any sort of logical reaction. Because it it doesn't serve a purpose. In fact, he goes back to hitchhiking, which I wouldn't have done if the first time I went hitchhiking, they tried to kill me. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's a good point. I'm 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 questioning his uh his his ideals in that one when he's kind of figuring out you know how he should maybe maybe just walk maybe just walk yeah maybe, maybe just, just walk. walk that might be the best plan. <laughs> no, I don't know. I I I guess I I concede that point a little bit where you know at the end of the day you have to kind of give Arvin his own agency and that he made the choices to stick up for Lenora and end up doing those things to Robert Pattinson. But I do think there's something really interesting there in how the devil is affecting him because I, again, in this movie, you have to assume that the devil is real and that's how he has infected all of these people. He infected Ray and made him kill Helen. He infected Lenora and, uh, you know, um, got her to the point where she was standing on a bucket that could easily slip out, out from under her, you know? Um, well, before we, um, get off of the police officer. How do you feel about his quote at the end to a young Arvin about how some people were born just to be buried? It's sort of like, I mean, it's obvious. It's most plainly, I think, uh, statement. He needs that to be true. He does. Yeah, yeah he does. 
And I think he knows Arvin sort of accepts that. Yeah. And that's probably their greatest point to where they're both not wholeheartedly evil, but they're not good. You wouldn't, well, I would call Arvin good, but not really. He thinks he's good. He definitely does some murder. The murder's not good. Is it justified, though? We, I mean, we can all reason that, yeah, I feel like anybody in that situation, that could probably be their reaction. Yeah, I don't think that's 100% unjustified what he did, but it's way too much revenge for me to say it's 100% justified. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, man. I just I think I think this movie overall is not just, you know, uh, 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 a gory movie that's going to leave you disturbed at the end of it. I really see just so much interesting stuff going on within this narrative when you take it into the context of her not keeping that promise to God and how everything just tumbled from there and all of these connections are tainted by that blood, you know, that the, the, the blood of Miller Jones, perhaps, you know, has just tainted this, this entire family. And to me, that's what really creates an incredible narrative is when you're able to take an idea like that and an, an idea of the wrath of God or the wrath of the devil. Which one is it? Or is it both? You know what I mean? I, I find it so infinitely interesting how this movie is able to create all of these actions taken by man. And you have to really think about the men behind the actions and if they were good people or if the devil was involved in it, if they were fighting the devil all the time. And because that's the name of the movie, I think you might kind of have to, you know, and the Lenora example, it's a lot easier to point out because there's literally a moment where she realizes that everything she was thinking about was just in her head. But even with Roy, you know, like, resurrect, resurrect! And then the scene just cuts, and it's nighttime, and he's crying because he's so upset with what he did, and he's just trying to drive away and rationalize it to himself, again, showing that character development. So, like, using using a ploy like that and and executing it through the actions of man... I mean, that's that's just good storytelling to me, dude. You know, that that's just intriguing storytelling that really kind of makes you think about everything that happened, not just sit back and say, wow, that was a lot of crazy things that happened. Yeah, and also, too, something that I think is probably one of the hardest things to do when you have limited time and so many characters, so many stories, is all of them are so incredibly individual and unique characters. Nobody feels copy-paste. Nobody feels like pure exposition, except for the guy that's the narrator, which is, if you have a narrator that is more than exposition, it's probably a bad narrator. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, the fact that all of these characters, you know, so many of them are messed up, doing bad things, and yet they're all totally different, with totally different reasoning. Like, it's a great mental dive into the black and white nature of morality, you know, where you have to say, this is why this the person did something. Are they justified in this? Mm. You know, 
Yeah. It, it makes you think. It makes you think. No, man, I, that's a, I think that's a really great point. Um, I think that's a, that's a really great point. And, and, and in conclusion, just like, don't view this movie as, you know, just a bunch of uh, fucked up things happening, you know? Like, like a, I, to me, a good narrative just makes you think that's the point we made with There Will Be Blood and Good Time and Don Quixote and that there's all this stuff going on underneath. And, like, it's a movie that feels kind of simple in a way but i really think there's so much underneath that you can just like dive into and smoke a nice long cigarette outside the cinema shooting the shit with your buddies about it <laughs> yeah it's definitely worth that watch because it's crazy like you like i'm like thinking about right now like who I'm trying to decide, like, who do I think gave the best performance? And it's, like, in my mind, it's so hard. Every character was on point. Every actor was on point. I don't think I've ever seen or, like, experienced a better narrator in a story. Like, which, you know, like, that's a good narrator when I'm debating if they did the best job acting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, honestly. And it's not because everybody else was bad. It's just because he was so outstanding. Oh, gosh. It's just a really good movie. It's it's not it's not a family movie. (laughs) It's not a family movie. It's not a Friday Night Wine movie. Uh, movie with your girlfriend for sure. I might have made that mistake, and um, I um, let's just say, let's just say, let's just say, maybe tune in forty minutes in. You know, if 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 you can't if you can't handle the dogs, there's also an app that tells you if the dog dies. So I would highly recommend that when choosing your movies from now on, when it is Friday night wine night with your girlfriend. <laughs> Luke, you're not telling me you're in the doghouse now, are you? <laughs> Honestly, it just kind of felt terrible because they didn't just kill the dog. They, they, uh, fucking nailed it to a cross. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody enjoys that. Everybody, it's resounding like um, reviews that nobody likes being crucified. No, that's a good time. (laughs) No, it is. It it is not. It is not a good time. Nobody's like, oh, I could go for another one of those. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's every Thursday for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm late. But, um, all right. So, I mean, I guess that, that it doesn't wrap it up because we just sort of talk. But with that being said, you know, thanks for listening to our rants you know let us know what you think about our rants what you got out of the movie if we said something you liked or didn't like you know shoot us a message at what's our what's our social stuff uh midnight showing podcast you can follow us and send us a dm we do have them open or you can email uh, email us at uh midnight showing with luke and nash at gmail.com i'm really interested in what people think about this movie again i read like two or three reviews and i was like people really aren't liking this movie like i i wonder why because to me the narrative is so strong and it's making you ask so many questions and I, to me i think you really just have to look at it through the lens of that promise to god and it's just just a fucked movie dude it's it's a fucked movie that's fun to talk about and think about and uh i will be buying it on blu-ray 
You like started off with like a youth pastor ending and then went into <laughs> like it's all about that promise to God and man this shit is fucked. <laughs> very, you know, very different positions on that. But yeah, that's what this movie does to you. Uh anything else? I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, it does, man. Delusions <laughs> If you get bit by a spider, don't try to resurrect people. <laughs> <laughs>